good morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to Job chapter 14. Job 14, I do want to give you a heads up. Um, we're going to be in a, quite a few various texts as we look at this. Um, I, I'm honestly excited about this sermon series. It's called Afterlife. We're going to be talking about um, the afterlife. We're going to be talking about what happens after we die. We're going to talk about heaven and we're going to talk about hell. We're going to talk about the reality of those things. But I, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about your view on the afterlife, maybe where you've received it or where you got it from. And then I want you to look at, as we kind of go through this, I want you to look at what the Bible says concerning the afterlife. In November of 2017, after going hunting with my dad out in Wyoming, who had been complaining about uh, uh, some pain on his back. In November of 2017, he called me up after going to the doctor and said, hey, listen, I got a, a, a large cancerous mass on my spinal column. And they're going to do emergency surgery in a couple days. Now, this surgery was, um, at the time, I didn't realize this, my dad and my parents lived in Cheyenne, Wyoming, or still live, my, my mom does, still lives in Cheyenne, Wyoming, um, was performed by a doctor who was featured on like National Geographic and the Discovery Channel as one of America's top 20 doctors. And I'm like, in Cheyenne, Wyoming? Like, what are the odds? Um, but uh, he was rushed into surgery. They did this um, thing called kyphoplasty ablation, which is basically they take um, two probes and they cook the tumor basically down to ash. They suck it out. And then they take the uh, kyphoplasty is like, concrete they put along the spinal column to strengthen the bone. Uh, but the, the, this, this mass was obviously cancer. It had spread from what was originally in 2015 identified as renal cell carcinoma that was encapsulated in his kidney. They took his kidney out, said, you'll have no problems. And a year and a half later, he had uh, stage four bone cancer. My dad lived till January 10th, 2019. Three days from now, he has been gone, I can't believe it, five years already, which is crazy in and of itself. And I think about that oftentimes as we think about what it's like to deal with death, right? All of us have dealt with death in some way, shape, or form. How many would say you've never been touched by death? That's what I figured, right? Like death is a given. As a matter of fact, as we go through this, you know, as you've walked through the stages of death or dealing with death, have you lost someone close to you? Have you struggled with the burden, the discouragement, maybe depression? Maybe you feel like you were traumatized as a result of it. Are you afraid of death? And a lot of times, even in the midst of this, I've ran into Christians who would say, yes, I'm afraid to die. And what we want to do over the next couple weeks, next you know, month or so is to, to encourage you, number one, to say, look, death is not the end, right? Most of us look and we go, man, death is the end of my life. It's the end of my existence, the end of everything. And, and the reality is, according to scripture, that's a false hope, right? Or that's a, a, a false belief. Our hope is in Christ and Christ alone. Job chapter 14, after Job has lost basically everything under the sun, Job chapter 14, verse 14, he says this, if a man dies, will he live again? If a man dies, will he live again? All the days of my hard service, I will wait for my renewal 
to come. Job asked a question after he had lost everything. He lost his kids, lost his home, lost his servants, lost his livelihood. Everything had fallen apart. And he asked that question, if, if a man dies, will they live again? And I think that that's the question most of us has asked, right? Maybe you've asked that. If I die, am I going to live again? What's this look like in my life? And let's, let's face it, many of us don't like to talk about death, do we? Matter of fact, most of the time, that's that's, that's, that's what gets kicked to the side. Matter of fact, I remember as my dad, my, my parents were very prepared. They had talked to us about insurance. And this is long before my dad ever was diagnosed with cancer. It talked about the insurance, talked about it. Hey, if anything happens, here's the code to our safe. Here's all our documents, what's going on. Like, here's all of those things. And I, I think it's a, a reality that most of us deal with, right? That we don't like to talk about death, but yet everyone deals with death. So how do we deal with it. You know, how do we deal with the questions? How do we deal with what's going on? Ecclesiastes chapter three, verses one through two says, there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die. So we have this terminal disease. You know what it's called? Death, mortality. And the death rate, last I checked, is 100%. Unless your name is Jesus, you and I will die. Matter of fact, I wanted to give you some quick statistics while we don't like to think about death. Did you know that three people die every second? Six people have died. Did you know that 180 people die every minute? 11,000 people die every hour? Maybe put that just into a little bit more perspective. In the time I preached this sermon, over 5,400 people have died. Think about that. Most of us don't like to say, matter of fact, I wish you guys could see your looks on your faces. It's like, golly, can you get any worse? Can you get any more depressing? Can you, can you beat us down just a little bit more? And that, that's the reality of what death brings to us, right? Oftentimes we come with this, oh, the doldrums of death. We don't want to deal with it. We come with the burdens. We come with the worries, the, the trauma and things like that. But there is great hope. There's great news. There's, there's a great expectation you come to. So when we talk about the afterlife, we're going to talk about the reality of how we can approach what is going to be like after you and I die. Now, let me be very clear with this. If you're not a believer, you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ. And I've told people this when I've done funerals. I sat down with a family one day and I said, hey, let me, let me, we're going to talk about it. The fact that the, the mother, a wife that had died. And, and I said, uh, you know, why do you want me to do the sermon? This family that, that, that didn't know me, why do you want me to preach the funeral? And they said, well, we need comfort. And so I share the gospel, I share the truth of Jesus, I share the hope you have in eternity with Christ, and I said, tell me about your, your mom, tell me about your wife. Well, she's not into all that religious Jesus junk. At which point I said, I, I, I'm going to stand on the truth of the gospel, right? And I'm going to preach the hope that only comes in Christ and Christ alone. And deep down in my heart, my heart was wrecked because I knew that I could not give them the hope that they wanted, the hope that someday they would see their mother or their wife again in heaven. So we're going to deal with a hard-hitting issue. 
we're gonna deal with the reality of where you and I can spend eternity. There are two choices. There's not a third, not a fourth, not a fifth. You don't get to heaven based upon your good works. You don't get to hell based upon uh, the fact that Jesus died to send you to hell. That's not the way this goes. Matter of fact, if you remember anything, I want you to remember this, that Jesus Christ gives us life after death with him forever. Only through Jesus will you experience life apart from death, an eternal life in the midst of God with glory. And let me clarify that. Let me just clarify what I just said. You will either have eternal life with Jesus or you'll have eternal life apart from Jesus. That's what we know in Scripture. That's what we're going to unpack over the next couple of weeks, over the next month or so as we dig into this. So as it, maybe you have some friends. Matter of fact, I want to say this. Maybe you have some friends who are going through a tough time, difficult situations, and you say, man, this might be the time that I can invite them. Next week, we're going to talk about hell. <laughs> and I'll be honest, I've never preached a whole sermon just on hell. And we're going to mention hell. We're going to talk about hell, but we're going to point people to heaven. We're going to point people to Jesus. So I want you to notice a couple of things as we dig into this. Number one, there's the reality of the afterlife. I'm going to unpack a number of things. Did you know that many Americans continue to believe there's life after death? I looked at a number of things, Pew Research and different things like that. We'll say easily that the, 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 the numbers range between 68 and 78% of all Americans believe that there's life after death. That's where it stops. How or what life looks like after death is drastically different based upon people's worldview. Some people believe in reincarnation, right? Like they're going to come back as something else. Some people believe you're just going to cease to exist, right? That's their view of life after death. Some people have varying views and things like that, but what we believe or what people believe about heaven and hell are drastically different. Many people cut and paste religious views from various backgrounds, various ideologies, maybe from TV or friends, maybe from conversations they've had. Matter of fact, According to the Pew Research, more Americans believe in heaven, 73%, than hell, 64%. And professing Christians, I want to be very clear on this, professing Christians believe in heaven, only 92% of professing Christians. It's like, matter of fact, there's this great book I'm reading. There's a guy named Randy Alcorn who wrote a book on heaven, um, pretty good, very good book. Matter of fact, it's considered one of the the best ones out on the market right now. And in it, he tells a story about where he's talking about writing a book on heaven. And, and he's meeting with a pastor and a pastor's like, I don't even like to talk about heaven. He's like, why would you not like to talk about heaven? You're a pastor. And he's like, because I just think it sounds boring. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be very clear because I do believe that there are Christians who are like, serious? We're gonna be in heaven singing. Matter of fact, maybe that's been on your mind. Why would that be fun? Right? Like, like, I hate to sing. Why would that be all of a sudden something I love to do? And what we want to put at ease is this. I believe that there's a lot of false beliefs about what heaven's going to be like. Matter of fact, they're not biblical beliefs necessarily. They're beliefs that have infiltrated our minds and our thought processes as a result of people talking to us, as a result of things that have gone on. So, I want us to look at what the afterlife is going to be like from a biblical perspective. Matter of fact, one in six Americans do not believe in the afterlife at all. When you die, you cease to die, or you cease to live. 
You're no longer. Nothing over, it's over. So a biblical worldview of the afterlife will lead us through the times we deal with and face death in our own lives. Matter of fact, I say this to consistently say this to people. For me, the hardest part about my dad dying when he died January 10th, 2019, was the two years before. Like I can remember breaking down in our kitchen crying, mad, mad or not get out, wanted to rip a doctor's head off, right? Because the doctor was like, oh no, it's good, we're fine, it's encapsulated, he'll never have a problem again. And a year and a half later, he's diagnosed with stage four bone cancer and it's all over his body, right? And deep down inside, I was like, man, I am so mad at that doctor. He, and honestly, the doctor, he's a human just like everybody else, Right? The difference between a doctor and a FedEx dock worker is when I make a mistake, it just crushes a pallet, right? Back in the day, <laughs> a doctor makes a mistake, it might cost somebody a life. See, the reality is that there is a truth about the afterlife. As a matter of fact, we understand the more we dig into God's word that the afterlife is something that is talked about consistently, that Jesus talks about it, that his followers talked about it, that there's hope in the afterlife. And I think it's funny that we prepare for things like school, right, and our job through school. And we prepare for things with our finances, right? Like we set up wills and trusts and we set up life insurance policies and we plan with all of those things, but we are unprepared for death. Why are we unprepared for death and yet we do all of those things? And here's the reality that I've come to is this because we're not prepared for heaven, because we don't look at scripture and the reality of what scripture says about the afterlife. So we look at things like, well, you gotta have a will and you gotta have a trust and you gotta have life insurance, but we don't look at what the Bible says about the reality of everything else that goes on. So over the next month, we're gonna dig into all of that. We're gonna ask you to dig in and look at what God's word says about all of these things and make no mistake about it. I believe Job hits the nail on the head. If a man dies, will he live again is the question all of us ask. And if that's the case, what is that going to look like? See, the fear of death seems to drive our culture. Hebrews chapter two, verse 14 and 15 say this, he too shared in their humanity. This is talking about Jesus he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil or Satan, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. I want you to get that verse and just focus on that because it's telling you the reality of what Jesus promised, that he shared in our humanity. That's what we see in Hebrews, right? That he was 100% God, but yet at the same time, 100% man. He lived a life. He understands our problems. He knows our sins, our struggles, our difficulties, our temptations, yet there was no sin in him. And he shared in our humanity so that by his death, when he died on the cross, that he might break the power of him, Break the power of Satan who has the power of death. Do you get that when we, when we play that out? Right, there's the reality of the afterlife that Jesus came so that he could break the power of sin and death. That's why we can read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and it says, where, O oh, death, is your sting? Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Why? Because Jesus defeated 
sin. Jesus defeats death and he offers us life. And here's the truth. And I want you to remember this. If people don't follow Jesus, who is going to free them from the slavery of the fear of death? Please make no mistake about it. No Jesus, there will be no peace. But when you know Jesus, when you believe in Jesus, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, when you've confessed your sins, you've repented, you've turned from those sins and you say, God, I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe he rose again, offering me life and life more abundantly. Then I can know peace. One of the greatest struggles is to go through a funeral. To lead a funeral when I know that the family has no peace. How do you encourage people when they say something like that? I'm not really into all that Jesus junk. I'm not really all that religious. I don't really trust the Bible. Don't really want to follow those things. Listen, make no mistake about this. The Bible is one of the most accurate, it is the most accurate book we have of all of history. Matter of fact, there is no disputing that. From a historic perspective, people cannot deny it. Matter of fact, over and over and over again, all the people I deal with, all the guys I talk to, they're like, oh, it's, it's full of flaws and contradictions and blah, blah, blah. And the minute you sit down and you have a conversation with those people, it's over. The reality of what we know about God's word is very simple and very point blank. And he lays it out from the get-go of what is gonna happen. See, people have to find a way to free themselves in our culture. And this leads to all kinds of problems. They want to free themselves from their own lives. They deny death through ignoring it. We, we, we distract ourselves with death by focusing on other things, right? That's, that's why, like when 9-11 happened, what happened with the sports world? To a certain extent, it paused. And then there was this big patriotic what? Distraction. Death is reality. September 11th, 2001. Over 3,000 people came to an end. Some knew Jesus, some didn't. And the truth of the matter is, there is the reality of the afterlife. I'm gonna, I'm gonna probably butcher this name, but there's a guy who wrote for the Huffington Post called Stax Roche, R-O-S-C-H, and he says that depression is a serious problem in the greater atheistic community, and far too often that depression leads to suicide. Many atheists don't like to admit it, but it's true. And this is a, a, a discussion or an article based upon the afterlife that he wrote. And so what I want us to know is that the reality of the afterlife is apart from Christ, I'm never gonna experience hope. As a matter of fact, Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse 11 says, God has set eternity in the human heart. Please make no mistake about it, that God has written on your heart that there is an eternal state that's gonna go on. There is an afterlife. As a matter of fact, Ecclesiastes wrote that. He's reminding it. So that's the reality of the afterlife. I want you to know this, though, that we have to recognize the brevity of life. Matter of fact, for every person who I would say is 50 and older, you would say, yep. 
Anybody with me? Yep. I'm not 50 yet. A couple years away. Oh, gee. Pipe down. <laughs> My wife always likes to remind me. She's like, yeah, I'm four years behind you. So once you hit 50, I got four more years. So that's like, great. Okay. But here's the reality, the, the, that life is short. Matter of fact, I can remember wishing my days away. Anybody ever been there? Wishing your days away. God, I just can't wait to graduate high school. God, I can't wait to get out of the Navy. God, I can't wait to finally be married. God, I can't wait to get done with this. God, I can't wait to retirement. And then all the retired people are like, man, God, can I go back and be young again? Because I'm dealing with problems I do not like to deal with. My body aches and groans in ways it should have never ached and groaned. And the Bible's very clear. It's going to ache and groan until you die. Recognizing the brevity of life. Life is short. It doesn't take long to realize how fast it goes. As a matter of fact, I was just thinking the other day. I was like, man, because I you know, obviously love my, my baseball, sports, softball, stuff like that. And I was literally sitting there preparing the sermon, and I was like, Whoa. 25 years ago, I was playing baseball at SBU. Think about that. I'm not even 50 yet. That was half my life ago already. At the time, I was like, man, I'm just 23. I'm a young, dumb, ready-to-roll punk that thought he knew the end. And now I'm sitting here going, dude, you're knocking on heaven's door. (laughs) Like, (laughs) knock, 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 anybody in there, right? The life is short. Psalm 90, verse 2, as a matter of fact, this was at my grandmother's funeral when I got to do this. Teach us, this is one of her favorite verses, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Life is short, and it goes so fast. I remember my, my parents, the day my son was born, my mom's like, listen, Brian, don't blink, because he'll be gone before you know it. And now my son's a senior. And I'm like, what the heck just happened? Where did life go? We must be wise in how we build and and how we view the afterlife. Psalm 39, verse four says, show me, O Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is as nothing before you. One day you're wishing your life away. The next day you're wishing you're younger again. One day you're wishing that you were accomplishing things. Next day you wish you could go back and reaccomplish those same things or maybe do them in a different way. James chapter four, verse 13 and 14 says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go and do this or go to that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. He says in verse 14, why you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a vapor. You're a myth that appears for a little while and then vanishes. I want you to think about that. That's how short life is. And you may sit back and you say, man, it'd be great if I live 80 years. But listen, there are a lot of people who don't make it that long. And I try and put myself into circumstances and situations and I think about Like when my dad came out to visit me when I was in the Navy and he rode the ship back. It's called a Tiger Cruise. He rode the ship back from from Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, back to San Diego. And I'm sitting there and I was like, man, I was 21 years old. And my dad, that means, was 44. So I was in the Navy when my dad was 44. And I'm 48 and my son's just now graduating high school. Right? That's when you start to go, wait a second, this is weird. (laughs) (laughs) And then I think about how short 
all of the lives of my grandfather, my great-grandfathers, and stuff like that. And I jokingly say this quite a bit to my wife, but I'm like, man, if I make 70, you're going to be blessed. (laughs) At which she just rolls her eyes and says whatever. I'm often reminded of how short life is and how we have to recognize the brevity of life. It reminds me oftentimes that song Kenny Chesney sing called Don't Blink. Because that's the reality of how our lives are. The minute you blink, it's here and then it's gone. So remember that there is the reality of the afterlife, that we have to recognize the brevity of life. But I want us to also observe God's desire for your life. See, many desire to leave a legacy, something that will make them last or live longer, long after they've passed. As a matter of fact, that's a goal, it seems like, with all kinds of people, right? I want to make my name live on. I want people to remember me. Somebody answer me, or no, well, don't answer me, but I just want you to ask yourself this question. Do you know your great-great-grandparents' first names? Some of you might. But if I was asked you to, not, not great, your great-great-grandparents' first names. Some of you would be like, having a clue. Now, those are people in your own family. Let me ask how long you think your name actually lives on. See, the name of Jesus has lived on for eternity, hasn't it? The name of Jesus has been at the forefront of people's minds. And so we have to understand and observe God's desire for our life. See, we name federal buildings and college buildings and highways and football fields and baseball stadiums and basketball courts. We question all of these things, but the question becomes this, how will you be remembered? How are your kids or your grandkids gonna remember you? You know, brought my mind being a baseball fan to Ted Williams. I don't know if you know much about Ted Williams and what happened after he died, but he was cryogenically frozen. And let me tell you the statement his daughter made. Like a religion, cryogenics is something we have faith in. Now, I started thinking about this, and as I was reading this book, it said something to this. They said the problem with cryogenics is this. It's called cell-fracturing. In other words, you've been frozen so long that like an ice cube when it thaws, what happens? Now that puts into mind all kinds of crazy thoughts about a body that has been cryogenically frozen. Is it all of a sudden gonna just fracture? Right, like these are things that oftentimes people look for answers, right? We look at it in cryogenics. And there's, there's a part for those of you who are into Tesla and Elon Musk and all of those things, there's talks about trying to figure out how to use basically computer chips to help people live longer, right? Like, like we're not far down the road of people thinking in this way. And so when we talk about the afterlife, I want to be very clear that there are people who have some very outlandish ideologies when it comes to afterlife. And what I want to get to is this, that no matter what happens, Jesus is the only one who offers us the afterlife that is going to be eternal that we want. Romans chapter six, verse 23 says this, the wages of sin is what? death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. 
eternal life in Christ Jesus, with Jesus forever, to be seated with him, to worship with him, to celebrate. Like if you can imagine heaven, and we're gonna unpack a lot more about heaven, but if you can imagine your best day in the most beautiful place you've ever been, doing whatever the heck you wanted to do with no pain, no torment, no tears, no, no emotions, no sadness, no grief, no worry, no anxiety, Imagine whatever you think is the greatest day of your life ever and magnify it. That's gonna be a time in heaven. That's what blows my mind when I hear people say, well, I'm not so sure I'm too excited about that. Because it's like, are you serious? Like we, we, we see pictures all the time of beautiful places where like, oh man, what I wouldn't give to be in a week there, right? Like I remember going on our 10th anniversary to Jamaica and I'm like, oh, I could live here. The reality is it would be boring to live there after a while, most likely, because then you just become used to it. But if you could imagine the most beautiful places of all of God's creation, you think that heaven's not gonna be even better, you're crazy. So we're gonna unpack a lot of that as we jump into that. And then here's the last thing I want us to remember for today, that we believe in Christ for the great outcome. John chapter one, verse 10 through 13 says, he was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who, I want you to underline this if you have your Bible, believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. You and I, in, in this whole reality is this, that we can believe in Christ for a great outcome, a great eternity with him. Why? Because he's never failed on his promises. He's never turned from his word. He's never backed out into a, a different situation or said, I think I've got second thoughts. He says that I will do all of that. So when he says it to those who believed in his name, Please let me say this in a very simple way, that belief is not just, oh, I believe that Jesus died on the cross. Belief, according to scripture, is this, that there's a change in action. There is a repentance that comes forth. There's the confession. There's a turn from the direction you were going and turning toward Jesus Christ, that when you believe in his name, the fact that he died on the cross and rose again, then you become a child of God, that I confess my sins because he is faithful and just. Matter of fact, I wanna read a quote real quick. An atheist philosopher named Luke Ferry says this, amongst the available doctrines of salvation, nothing can compete with Christianity. An atheist said that. Of all of the doctrines that man has created about salvation, nothing competes with Christianity on the afterlife. Please make no mistake about it. If Christianity is true and we believe it is, and we have great reason to believe it is. You know, I hear people say it all the time. Christianity is a blind faith. The reality is no, you haven't really dug into what's going on. Jesus didn't call us to follow blindly. Matter of fact, that's what's ironic about most people when they argue, that's oh, a blind faith. No, it's not blind. There are many in this world right now who want to reject it based upon this, based upon their assumptions 
or their worldview and how they view things, they are not willing to change from darkness to light. The Bible says in Romans chapter one that people suppress the truth because of the wickedness in their heart. So, if Christianity is true, and we have great reason to believe it is, then we will all face judgment after death. Hebrews chapter nine says, he has appeared once and for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. That's talking about Jesus. Doing away with sin by sacrificing himself on the cross. And just as people are destined to die once and after that to face the judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many and he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Please know this. Make no mistake about it, that the afterlife, the promised afterlife in Scripture is a promise of hope, a promise of dwelling in his kingdom with other believers, other loved ones, with no tears, no sorrow, no pain, no death, no worry, no frustration, fear or free from all of those things. And I want to know, as, as believers, I want you to know this, that there is no room for false hope or wishful thinking or denial when it comes to the afterlife. Because false hope, wishful thinking, and denial lead you to one of the two places. But there is great hope in Christ Jesus who died so that you and I might live who said he goes to prepare a place for us. And if he goes to prepare for a place for us, he says he's going to come back and take us to where he is so that where he is, we might be also. So make no mistake about it. When we talk about the afterlife, there are all kinds of crazy ideas and thoughts. There are all kinds of beliefs. There's all kinds of hurt and trauma. But I also want you to know this that we as believers say, it says that we do not mourn as those who mourn with no hope that we do not grieve like those who grieve without hope, but that when we approach the afterlife, we can approach the afterlife with great confidence. And this is what I tell everybody, man, when my dad died, when we sat that morning, January 10th, that morning, my mom had stomped on the floor. I was downstairs. I came running upstairs and my dad was really laboring to breathe. If you've ever been in the room when somebody's passing away, you know what I'm talking about. Short, quick breaths. We could watch the oximeter on his finger slowly, just slowly fade away, and then he was gone. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not usually one of these guys. There's, you know, we're going to talk about all kinds of things, but I texted my aunt. My aunt was on her way over, my dad's twin sister. And I texted her and I said, He's gone. And when she got to our house, she said, you're never gonna believe what happened. It's cloudy day, January 10th, Wyoming, cold. She said, the minute you texted, he's gone. She said, a ray of sun burst through the clouds and hit my car. Almost as if Jesus was saying, Cliff's home. And what I can tell you is this. It hurts to lose a loved one. 
But it hurts more if that loved one doesn't know Jesus. And the hope I have is this. My dad, when the funeral home came and took his body away, it was like a ton of bricks was relieved. His body wheeled out on a gurney in a body bag. And I remember thinking, man, what's my dad experiencing? No brokenness, no hurt, no anguish, no pain, no sorrow. And then I began to think, man, is my dad going to know me? Right? Like, is he going to know when I finally arrive? And so over the next month, we're going to look at those types of things. And what I want you to know is this. You don't have to go through this on your own. You know, I can sit up here with tears. No, my dad's gone. And I could call him every day, man. Before, before he died, I would call him every morning. As soon as I got off work, call him. We'd have about a 20-minute conversation. And I'll never forget, after he died, it was like, wow, that's over. Um, but I'll tell you also is this. For me, please hear me out when I say this. This is not tears of grief and sorrow. Well, it's sorrow because I do miss him. But it's also tears of joy. (laughs) You can have hope. You don't have to walk through this life with fear. You don't have to walk facing death with fear. You can walk with your arms stretched out. You can stand before a God. And when God says, why should I allow you into heaven? You can say, because your son died on the cross for me. And I believe, I believe that he died on the cross for my sins. I believe that he rose again. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And therefore I can walk into eternity with confidence in the hope and the salvation that Jesus offers. Apart from that, I got nothing for you. Because apart from that, I don't know of any hope. Apart from that, according to scripture, you're doomed and destined for hell. Eternity separated from God. With pain and anguish and fear and worry. Father, we praise you. We thank you. And we remain faithful and hopeful knowing that the promises you made are things, are the, are the very foundation that we can build our life upon. That God, apart from Christ, there is no hope. Apart from Jesus, there is no heaven. That apart from the forgiveness of sins that Jesus offers, that we are still caught in our sins and our trespasses. And so God, we pray. I pray today that maybe there's somebody who doesn't have that nailed down, who's never, maybe they made a commitment a long time ago, but they've really struggled with this idea of heaven. They're worried, they're frustrated, they're traumatized by death. Maybe they're even angry because 
they feel like you have stolen somebody from them. God, would you remind them that the brevity of life, that we're not promised tomorrow, but we are promised eternity when we nail that down in our relationship with Christ. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.